Welcome to Conversations from Here with me, Dana Ziegler. These candid, unfettered talks create connection and inspiration across the human story. These are the sharings of how we came to be ourselves, how we found our life's purpose, and how we made it from there to here. I speak with performers, artists, artisans, creators, innovators, entrepreneurs, and other remarkable people about what they do and how they came to do it. Also, the music you hear on this show is performed, as always, by Brad Watson. Today I speak with Germany's own Miriam Noara Schrager. She has been a creative director, a professor of design at the Hochschule Mietweide in Berlin, a DJ, and is currently the founder of the clean skincare brand Liquid Poetry. We talk about her origins in Frankfurt attending the Universität der Kunste in Berlin, witnessing the fall of the Berlin Wall in 1989, her time as a teacher, then professor of design at the Hochschule Mietweide, moving to Los Angeles with her family, receiving a scary dual diagnosis of heart complications and breast cancer, and finding healing in developing her nourishing non-toxic skincare line. A deep talk and a fascinating one. I hope you enjoy. Here's me and Mary. Hello, Mary Noara Schrager, my darling friend. How are you today? Hey, how are you? I'm so happy to talk to you and hear your beautiful voice. I'm, I'm just, uh, I mean, it's been forever since we've seen each other. So full disclosure, everybody, um, Mary and I are dear friends. And so it's really wonderful to connect. But I'm I'm so glad that you're doing this because you're you're somebody that I've wanted to have on the show before and you of course are are from Germany and I remember did you did you tell me that you were from Frankfurt originally Yes uh, I was born uh, in Frankfurt uh, in there's a West Frankfurt and an East Frankfurt so uh, I was born in the West Frankfurt basically in Frankfurt am Main and there's another Frankfurt an der Oder, so this is uh, more in the east part of Germany. So mm -hmm. I was born in Frankfurt am Main, yeah. And then after, like, I left school and then I went to Berlin. So I'm always I'm from Berlin because mm -hmm. I think the biggest part of my life I actually lived in Berlin. That's why. Yeah, because that's what I what I what I think of um, when I think of you. I think of Berlin because of your yeah. professional experience, and then also you went to the. Um, let me see if I if I'm going to say this right. The Universität der Kunste Berlin. 
Sweet. Ja, Universität der Künste, ja. That is the name now. Um, at that time it called Hochschule der Künste, it's a similar, but heißt uh, University of Arts, basically. Yeah. But before then, so you were, you're, so you're, you're, you're with your parents in, 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 in Frankfurt on Main, and then you, yeah. did you have any siblings? It's a really good question, actually. I actually have a half-sister, and to be very honest, I, I saw her only one time in my life, oh. and I was 12, and I think she was 20 or so, something. Oh. Yeah, her name is Katja, but I never saw her again. No, oh. yeah, maybe I should pursue this. Yeah, well, and, then, and then, so were you, because, I mean, I think of you as, as a creative. I think of you as someone because you 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 studied design and and, and yeah. creative directing and stuff like that. So were you doing that as a kid? Were you making pictures and things? Or yeah, I actually did that. Yeah, so I have to be honest. So I I love to do like if I couldn't get a gift or something or like a, a toy I wanted to have, so I tried to do it myself. You know, like okay, you're not giving me the. Uh, the uh, the butterfly wings okay you're not giving to me so I make it myself you know like or for example when I got older I thought like man I love Chanel it was the time so in the 80s so, mm -hmm. so I saw beautiful earrings and I did everything then with some uh, you know like I don't know what it calls in English but it's like a mass you can do and then you put it in the oven and bake it so I did like Chanel earrings and Chanel like uh, necklaces oh, yeah. or not not with Chanel I did my own stuff yeah, yeah. So, was basically some some clay you know and then i colored it uh colored it metallic and and people like oh my god it's amazing but it was like very uh, crappy clay actually <laughs> <laughs> so i didn't have the money for the real stuff you know so i have to do it myself <laughs> but see that's what that's like they say necessity is the mother of invention right yes you're like, right yes you want something and you can't get it you have to make it Exactly. Yeah. So that's why I think it was like a necessity. So I couldn't uh, get what I want. So I did it myself then, you know, like. And your and your mom and dad, were they creative at all? Were they doing doing stuff or? It's a really good question. Uh, I would say that my parents are not very creative. So I see my mom more than my dad. So my mom, for example, she she made when I was a little girl uh, one day, I think I was five or so, she did a whole puppet house like herself. And I think that's a really creative thing. So she she put like everything in miniature, you know, like little carpets and little, um, but she did everything by hand, little, yeah. you know, like a little cute little dollhouse, you know. And I think my mom was creative, but she she couldn't live that, you know. So she, she had, she was a secretary, you know, in an office and, so and I think it's not a generation where you get encouraged, especially when you're a woman, you know, like so that's something no one must think about. You should get the money, earn money quick, you know. So your mom was a secretary and your dad what did your dad do? So my dad is uh he was an engineer, but he was it's a really good question. Um he was basically self-taught himself. So he he I think he was when he was a young man, he was a builder. And so, and then he met, met, met his first wife. And so this first wife was studying and she had like all the study friends, you know, students. And he figured out, hey, that's exactly my crowd. And I, I don't want to be like, uh, you know, this, uh, like doing the, my builder stuff and it's not fulfilling. So, and he actually um, 
was really like he had not a good uh, school uh, how he said in english he he didn't so he did everything himself in the evening school you know like he he did his uh, high school and then he studied and he he's a self-made guy you know and he taught himself instruments himself so completely himself like he plays trumpet he taught himself uh, piano clarinet accordion saxophone everything he taught himself yeah wow so that's where that's where the creativity came from maybe yeah maybe so it's well that that um this attitude hey everything is possible somehow you know but as well as the negative stuff too you know sure. good stuff yeah of course because with creativity there comes the the yeah. drama oh, no, oh, no. oh god you don't have drama <laughs> And then, so did you, like when you were in high school, did you, were you pursuing the arts at all? Or was that later at university? So I, I always loved um, doing um, arts, you know, like I, I did one time crashing off the planets, like, you know, like I, I did that with like this wax thing and I was like in elementary, like third or second grade. And I did like, I got very angry when I did it, but I was very expressive. And so the teacher, oh, that's great. And so one day I was very naughty. So the, the head of school, I had to come in his office and behind him was my picture, <laughs> which I was like, uh, the crashing of the planets or whatever. <laughs> and I was very, man, that's amazing. So I'll never forget that. You got in trouble <laughs> destroying the solar system. Yeah, and it's a colliding <laughs> solar system. <laughs> yeah. Did he get suspended? Yeah. What, happened? what did he do? Sorry, what you said? Sorry. What What did he do to you after that? Did he just tell you not to no, do it? No, no, it wasn't bad at all. He was very, <laughs> you know, I, I thought it's really bad, but it was not bad. So he was like, hey, not doing that again. I actually forgot what I did. I think I beat up a little guy in my class or so. I don't know what it was, so I got some. Oh, I see. Oh, it wasn't <laughs> picture didn't get you in trouble that was not no 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 no. he actually put it like in a frame in his behind his desk on a wall so i was very i was very um proud of this okay so that's okay that's okay i misunderstood that so your picture turned yeah. out to be art for the headmaster's yeah. office yes wow. sorry i maybe that might no be. no that's no that's great that's great so you were you must have felt proud about yeah very proud <laughs> but yeah it's like I think that's when I started so a little bit um, loving uh, being creative and later so I, I did then I loved so I, I bought like so certain pencils and I tried to do myself and do pictures and mm -hmm. and then one time uh, I was at a friend's house so I think it was fifth grade and there was a dad he was a famous graphic designer famous in, in Germany and so I said oh look at that you you you're a graphic designer this <laughs> was like hey what's that you know yeah. so but then he um so I was kind of more in the decorative way you know like I, I was not that type of arty arty you know like not mm -hmm. I, I need to be an artist or so so I didn't see right. myself as an artist at all you know right so you trying to be Rembrandt you yeah I tried to be like I tried to 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 see things in a different way and I uh, try to find the beauty into it, but without not not only decorative in a way of like I put some flowers there and so you know nice. But I, I try to do things, you know, like design things, uh, create things and so you know. 
And so you decided to go to art school, to the university. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, because I, after school, um, so when I, after high school, I didn't dare to actually, I didn't dare to, to apply uh, at, at the University of Arts at called Hochschule der Künste at that time. And I saw like sometimes there was a cafe in the front entrance, a cafe, vice versa, the street. So you were sitting there and then all the, the students got there and, um, and I was like, man, these people must be half gods or so, you know, half god, half half human to yeah. be a part of this uh, amazing uh, school. So I didn't dare. So I studied like weird stuff. Uh, I went to, I think the first thing was, I, I did music science, um, art science, uh, the first semester at the Technische Universität. And then I studied Germanistic and not laughing physics. <laughs> and um, so I, I think I needed to figure out who I am. So, and, and then I was like, man, this is not me. Um, I need to go for my dreams. And then I decided I really want to study at exactly that place. So, and, um, and then I put totally my mind on it. And I was like, man, I'm doing it now. And I will apply if they um, say no, I will apply again and I will apply again and I will apply again. And luckily that didn't have to be the case. So I actually, luckily they, they invited me for the first um, so when you do, when you apply there, you need to, um, you put your portfolio in and then you get an invitation for, it was, I think at that time, two days or so, they're testing you, you know, and then, and then they make the decision, are you, can you study there? So, but I, I, I got in, I didn't, never expected that. I thought like, I'm, I'm not a god, you know, so what I thought, and I was so happy. Um, I, my life changed to totally when I studied what I wanted. And then plus, because you you left Frankfurt and you're in Berlin and Berlin yep. was this massive cultural center. What what was that like to, to be there? So very interesting. So I I was 18, 1989, um, in October 89, I, I moved to Berlin. And it was literally a month or no, not even a month, it was two weeks because I came mid-October two weeks or three weeks before the wall came down. So I actually experienced everything, wow. like, like everything. I was like, I remember when the wall uh, came down, I was lying in front and watched it uh, on, on ZDF. It's like the second German TV channel. So I watched uh, the wall came down. People were standing on a, you know, on the, on the wall and uh, with a hammer and, and, get the wall pieces out and it was massive and some friends hey Mary come with us we go into the wall and you know what I was like oh no I can't do that so and it was like um but the next day from that day on everything was like full of people everywhere you couldn't go you couldn't go to the supermarkets and there were like everywhere bananas were like it was insane expensive eight dollars a pound and so stuff like this so you know it was crazy it was a crazy time you couldn't take the subway because it was so full and people were everywhere um you know and it was amazing so i went then um, all the people from the east went to the west and um, all the people from the west went to the east so i yes. it was super interesting i remember um we went to restaurants and it was like a like the debonson um you know bonson means like the higher um pullet uh, people, you know, like around Honecker, so they had some money and they went to those certain high-end restaurants uh, in, in the east part of Berlin. And so 
so suddenly everyone like student like me with no money could sit and suddenly go and have some Cuban high-end uh, restaurant, you know, with Cuban rum and so stuff for, for 10 bucks or so, you know, like because the currency was like, you know, one, one German uh, mark was like 10 uh, East German marks, you know. Right. And it was like crazy times there. So I was like in the middle of it, yeah. It must have been equally exciting and a little scary in the beginning yeah. because nobody yeah. knew what that meant. The wall comes down after all this time. Yeah. And then, you know, East and West pff, opens up. And like you said, the river, the river from the West flows East and East flows West and people are experiencing the other culture because it was totally different it was east germany was was like russia and communist russia and 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 yet there it opened up and it must have been absolutely incredible to see that it's it's really incredible to be honest um so i remember that time so we went through friedrichshain or prenzlauer berg you know that was more this part of where a lot of resistance and was uh, towards the um the Honecker government and um, there was a lot of super cool people like punks and so you know like um, new wave guys and so and um, so I remember so we went there like for the whole full glass vodka for one euro at a German mark you know it's like nothing it's like like a dollar or less and um, it was kind of interesting and you saw in every house still the the, um, the holes from the guns from second world war you know mm -hmm. like they didn't renovated it you know like it was like kind of original and dark and but very mesmerizing you know and a lot of empty empty apartments everywhere so my friend uh, she had, was friends with some people there was this kind of occupied house scene you know and so we we we, we went there one time in in one of the most famous areas where like there was like a lot of big crashes with the police you know they tried to chase them out and and uh, so we but she said hey let's occupy a house an apartment because everywhere is empty you know like and i was like man it's crazy but there was like amazing apartments like eight rooms and huge and but there was no water there was no electricity you know like man i don't want to <laughs> i didn't want it to so i i preferred my little tiny west yeah um apartment but that even didn't had any, I just had the toilet, that's it. I didn't even had a shower for seven years there, you know, this <laughs> was crazy. Was there, was there any resistance for the West Berliners when the East Berliners came over? Was there any clashing or did they welcome them or what was the reaction? Yeah, it was actually very welcoming. So it was like, hey, it was like super emotional. Uh -huh. I have to be honest, it was super emotional. Um, but of course, um, in a good way, you know, but it started then to uh, a lot of West uh, people saw the East people as a threat, you know, like in a way, not in a bad way, like, right. yeah, it, it's, it's bad, of course, but it's more like, uh, for example, um, a lot of people, for example, wanted to study from the East and suddenly on a University of Arts in the West. So, you know, there really, were really good um, universities in the East, but no one from the West people wanted to go there, but suddenly, when I applied, it was like suddenly a thousand people applied instead of 500. And so, you know, like, I don't know the numbers, but so that wow. you get the idea. So, um, yeah, and then of course, then so there was kind of a divide between West and East, yeah. But to be honest, when I started then studying, uh, it's called visual arts or visual communication. It's basically graphic design, but 
a little bit more, not in more in a bigger context with design theory. And so, you know, like, um, so we had like a really amazing mixed um, study uh, crowd, like, like partly, 50% uh, like nearly uh, from East Berlin you know, and the other part from uh, West Berlin. And it was actually super nice and cool. I was like, man, it's like, there is difference. So they have a different, uh, they're grown up different, more free to be honest, not so tied up. Um, for example, um, East Germany was very famous for their, it's still famous for their nudist culture, you know, mm -hmm. like there's a lot of in the Ost, Eastern uh, Ocean, or Ocean is an Ocean, Ostsee, um, there's a lot of nudity, like you can be on a beach naked, it's great, it's called Freikörperkultur, uh, it's mean FKK means like that, you know, it's like free nudist culture, so you be just free and live yourself, you know, but this is actually an expression of that part that you couldn't be really free in the east part of Germany and right. this was your where you could be free as actually uh, the people were like very free you know like so not like so tied up like the west German people you know so that west Germany was more like the traditional way women stand uh, at home and, and look after the kids the housewife and the dad goes uh, um, for work but in the east part it was like you know, there was a really functioning system, you know, like you had a kita, like a daycare for the kids. You you work from the beginning, gave birth and nearly you went directly to your job. But it was like a very, um, women are very equal and very independent so compared to the West it was a really interesting, interesting insights, yeah. So even though there were a lot of downsides being behind the Iron Curtain, there were also certain things. Yeah. Like people choose their freedoms. So they may not politically be free, but they choose like the nudist colony. That's the ultimate in freedom because you you're not you're not repressed by any any moral thing or whatever that people get hung up on in the West. Totally, I I totally agree. I mean, I was like, um, I mean, listen, we had in the West part of Germany there was of course there's still this nudist thing. I mean, it sounds like weird, but it's like literally all families go, the grandpa, you know, you don't, you see things you don't want to see, but, it's okay, <laughs> you know, like it's okay. And they're totally yeah. free about and, you know, go on a swim free, you know, like it feels good, you know. And um, so we have that in the West too, but uh, I think uh, East Germany was kind of very famous and needed it as well. So, you know. Do you think it also may have come from um, in Russia and, and also in Turkey and Eastern Europe, in, in Hungary, Romania, there's there's a big bath culture, you know, yeah. you go to the public baths and you take the waters and, and all of that and that, that there's a public, that public bath tradition maybe uh, is part of what made people feel freer to be naked in East Germany? Uh, I don't think that have, I wouldn't connect it so, um, because, so I couldn't see that kind of sparse you have in a, in a hammam, you know, like in, for example, in, in interestingly wise, in the west part of Berlin, there's a, there's hammam, so I used to go because there's a lot of a big uh, Turkish pop, uh, um, um, uh, people, a lot of uh, Turkish people came like in the 60s to help building up Germany after Second World War, you know, and so they created a beautiful culture of 
uh, hamams, you know, and, and amazing uh, Turkish food. Of course, there was like Italian, we have all the pizzerias, amazing Italian food. So, um, but this culture, I wouldn't say it's not linked to this kind of free, free nudist culture. In, in a, okay. This is more like a, um, this cultures you have with the traditional hamam or like you have said in Korea, like we have here in LA, it's amazing Korean spas. It's more an act of purification, you know, in self care. So it's a, like um, getting rid of the stress, you know. Yeah. Um, it's well, I think so. What I learned um, when men go, for example, um, or in Russia, so you sit there and then you you drink some schnapps, slipovitz, you know, in the sauna, and so you know. <laughs> so we had that in Berlin too. So I remember so them. I went to the sauna in West Berlin and there was like, there always like a lot of Russian people went there and some guys, yeah. so like, oh, let's, because they had like this, you know how you call it when you put the alcohol, not alcohol, but you put something on the sauna and so. Oh yeah, the steam. Yeah, exactly. And there was like a Slivovitz and they were drinking it out in the sauna, you know, like, but it was like funny. Um, yeah, but I think I wouldn't connect this. Oh, okay, okay. Well, and and actually, and of course the, the public baths were there because people didn't have plumbing. So it was a necessity. Yes, interesting, you're right, yes. Clean, yeah. They'd go to the baths. And um, so then uh, when you graduated, what, mm -hmm. what, what did you do after you graduated from university? Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So I graduated 1990, uh, 1996. Uh, and so I did like, I wanted to go to work in advertising. You know, I, I loved the fact um, to, to always have a new topic you, you need to be creative with, you know, like I, I was not, I wasn't, I didn't want it to be one of the self-centered people like artists where you just being around the whole time is one thing and be yourself, uh, with yourself. So it wasn't me. I wanted to, to do good, you know, like I wanted to do help communication, uh, making um, advertising for the right thing. So that's the ideals you have, you know, when you're a student and so, you know. And so I did then, um, so we had a really cool professor um, when I was uh, at the University of Arts. His name was Uwe Fock, Professor Uwe Fock. So he was my professor. And he actually really taught a lot about advertising and doing good. And he helped us as well as students that we did the real jobs already. So he, he was one of, uh, he encouraged us to found uh, basically an, a little advertising agency kind of thing in the university. So we had real clients, you know, for example, we did, we worked for the Berlin Marathon. So I, we did a concept, I think they didn't do it, what we did, but however, but then I did with a friend, um, he lives, um, he lived here in LA, but he's now back in Berlin. So I did for the Hochschule für Film und Fernsehen, Konrad Wolf. It's a, it's a university for TV and film and etc. in Potsdam, very famous. So I did the logo for them. Like, but this was like 1995 or something, <laughs> super long ago. But we got right, real good money, <laughs> to be honest. Like, it was really cool. And like you learn by doing, like you're really, yes. like you're in, you have real world experience with this, yes. which is so great. Yes. It's not like you just come out as a student and then 
scapegoat into the working world. You have that real world experience already. So I loved that attitude. He said, listen, guys, I don't want that you need to work as a taxi driver to finance your study. I don't want that you work as a cleaner to, uh, to finance your study. So he gave us the jobs we were able to work on. We could make money with that, you know, and um, that was actually super cool. So we, we um, I mean, I didn't base my income from it. So I had to, to work like cleaning and, and I went to some, they always kicked me out when I was cleaning. Oh man. <laughs> so really, I went to the cafe, they kicked me out twice, you know, <laughs> I wasn't the, <laughs> the top waitress. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> it's not my thing apparently. You're not meant to do but that. Really what you said? Sorry. I said you, you were not meant to do that. So it's okay. Yeah, I tried my best. I sent you on your way. <laughs> <laughs> so like after a day working at Cafe Hardenberg, that was the cafe, uh, vice versa from the university, they said to me, oh, by the way, uh, you don't have to come back tomorrow. So, uh, okay. <laughs> In other words, don't come back. <laughs> Never come back again. <laughs> but it was really like I brought some, uh, so Berlin is very, completely different to here for example you go sitting in a cafe and you're literally sitting for two fifty dollar minutes was the time maybe it's now five dollars uh five dollar uh cafe latte in a cafe all day right oh all yeah. day, drink all day. <laughs> and this was the time so i totally lost uh like overview so i like, said hey guys i'm a student first day i have no idea what you ordered i hope you you fair, you know. So like, I was like completely lost. However, um, yeah, it wasn't my thing. Yeah, I learned that lesson. And then, how did you how did you go on to become a professor at the at the Hochschule Mitteweide, which I hope I'm saying right? So I have to tell you that so it started actually in the University of Art. So um, at that time, Hochschule der Künste. Um, and I went to this class for my professor. I said, man, that's exactly what I want to do. I want to teach. I really want to teach. And I, I loved it. And it was like, you know what, like a flash, you know, this feeling you get, man, that's exactly what you want, you know? And I was like, wow, but this was at that time, like so far away. And I think you should allow yourself to dream, you know, you should allow yourself to dream. And I always dreamt about, and I think it sounds like I want to be a professor. It sounds like a little bit, no, it's not about the title is about doing that, the work, you know, with the student, with young people, keeps you actually really young, fun, you know. Um, and this is um, something beautiful, especially in the art uh, area, like when you teach design, uh, you learn so much about the people, you learn so much about the topic, you, you, you explore the world, you see the world in different angles, you, you really learn to see things in different angles and this is actually i think the beauty of it so i wanted that from the beginning and i allowed myself to dream very secretly so um but that i i, I realized i want to do what he did so you had it was a way to marry the creative part of you and then yeah. also part of you the teacher exactly um so but it was a long way to go and you know after i finished my my studies i applied in hamburg that was uh, the epicenter of uh, good advertising in the 90s and still is i guess in germany so i went there to an agency 
Kolium von Matt was uh, considered one of the, uh, all the most creative agency with creative people, but it was a hard time to be honest. It was like German at its best, or so in a way of like, they did a really great advertising, but it was absolutely no fun for me <laughs> to do it. It was uh, absolutely fun free, you know, like hard, hard work, like all the time, hard work, like until the bitter end, every day, every night, every day in a week, you know. It was hard, but I met amazing people. To be honest, I met I made friends for life. I still my best friend is at that time I met her there. I met truly friends for life there. So I will not miss that. But it was this kind of attitude like you don't have a life next to your agency. You know, you're not having a life. You just um, you really dedicate your whole life to to the advertising agency. For, for no money <laughs> so and that you can't do that forever you know you learn a lot and it's amazing people but yeah. no it wasn't for me so I um, decided then to to freelance and, and then I went to another agency back in Berlin called Charles and Friends it was a great time I had amazing made again friends for life to be honest um, we had a great time and then I did kind of uh, with a friends, uh, two friends actually, we did an agency together. So I didn't have the money, so it was not literally my agency, but I was the creative uh, boss there. But it was a tiny, tiny agency, but it was super fun. We had um, like what is called the um, big fair, uh, music fair. Um, so it's Shanghai, St. Petersburg, and Berlin. So we did so client slices, but it was fun. And then I started to teach in little in little, um, I'd start teaching in the little uh, places like uh, where I did like seminars, you know, I'd, like a dozen or how call it when you're not a professor, but you're a teacher in a little university. So I started, yeah. Wow. And how long did you teach for? How, how long did that last? Uh, so I did that. Um, I was teaching before. So you need, before you being a professor, you need to, in that um, area, you need to have the ex. Um, per t or ex how you call it experience yeah. to do that like you need to have like at, at least two years of experience of teaching and you need a letter of recommendations and um, so I got really good recommendations I, I worked for the Green Party at that time and we did like election for the Green Party and it was super fun and I had like really great learning there and they, they helped me a little bit there as well it was really great and um yeah, and then I, I applied for that professor thing, and yeah, they, I, I didn't ever expect it, but I got, I got it, and um, but then life happened completely different, completely. So I thought, okay, I'm doing that, and I teach, and then that's what I'm doing to the end of my life. So they they offered me the tenure. I did the tenure. So I, as a professor, I was only teaching one and a half years. Yeah. And then I met my husband <laughs> and then we felt in love. And then this very late bloomer I am, I got pregnant with 40 or so, or 42 nearly, <laughs> so very late. And yeah, and then, yeah, it was kind of a tough, tough few years, like super tough. So I couldn't teach anymore. And he moved then, uh, not, not he, we all had to move then to Los Angeles, yeah. That's right. So, so you and Jason and baby moved to Los, Los Angeles. What a culture shift. Oh my 
<laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah, it was crazy, to be honest. Los Angeles. <laughs> you have to be very honest. So it was our life was a little bit, but typical creative, chaotic, you know, like, so I met him, he's a creative, I'm a creative. <laughs> oh my God. It's like creative drama, you know. So we, we actually, um, we met in Berlin um, on a party. I was a DJ. <laughs> like, a little party, but it was fun, you know, like, it was super fun. And we felt in love. And uh, so, however, some after a while, I got pregnant. And then we moved to Amsterdam. And then we moved back from Amsterdam to Berlin. And then from Berlin we, to New York. We were supposed to go to New York. and But then Jason got that offer in from, from his agency in Los Angeles. And then we decided to go. To, to Los Angeles and I never been in Los Angeles but it was just a jump in the cold water and um, never been in the city but I moved there first time never been there before so. and, and I should say a shout out to your hubby Jason Schrager who is the creative director at Saatchi and Saatchi he's a yeah he's a chief creative officer but he, it's like he 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 does a he yeah he does it now like since we came here like six and a half years already yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. So then you're settling into Los Angeles. Yeah. Oh my God. And then you started at some point having some health issues. Yeah. Around this time, right? So I have to be honest. So I got a second baby and it was like everything a little bit chaotic, creative, chaotic, unplanned. So, but I got a, a second baby and um, I got a lot of, I think I have to be honest, when I look back, I got because of the stress and I felt like kind of guilty that I got, I mean, I did the tenure and I felt like I wanted to do that with the best intentions and then life sometimes happens, you know, to you. And I never would expect it that I would get married. I was, I found myself kind of old, you know, and um, especially getting a baby. I never was thinking getting a baby with 42. And so the second baby I got was nearly 45. And so, but I think what it does a little bit to the body is I didn't realize um, that I might had a postnatal depression and I didn't realize that. I know that it was a very stressful time, so moving countries. Um, I couldn't really set boundaries, you know, I couldn't really take care of myself anymore. And I think it was a downward facing spiral and yeah, so we moved then to Los Angeles. It was already super stressful to do that with two little kids. Mm -hmm. um, losing all my friends and losing, I still have them, but you know, not a complete different shift of city. And um, it's it was so different. So um, it's so I was like not allowed to work. Um, so I mean, anyway, I was not fit. And I thought, you know, and uh, then I was like, why well, I'm not doing a teacher training just to stay healthy and maybe find a new community. So, and that is actually the point when I met you, um, yes. that, you know, we became really good friends and um, you were like accompanying me since that, you know, like in a really beautiful way. And so we made together the uh, yoga teacher training, Kundalini yoga teacher training. And it was interesting, have to be very honest, because it was a really tough one. I didn't expect it to be so tough. And towards the end, I started to get really tired. And I was like, man, it's maybe just a lot of things going on. And I need to tell uh, one thing. I had, when I was 30, I got a pacemaker. Mm -hmm. 
So, and that was shocking because at that time I was considered myself very young and fun and whatever, you know. Um, but that was a setback and uh, I got a pacemaker, but I made my peace with it, you know. And so I was had that pacemaker. So I have to go for a checkup, you know, it's normal. But so I did the yoga teacher training and so I became tired towards the end and I had to go to a pacemaker checkup. And they basically, I never forget that I went there and I said to the guy, so chit-chatting, small talk said, hey, you know what, while he checked my pacemaker parameters on a computer, um, is it possible that a cable can break? Ha ha ha, so blah, blah, yeah, really chit-chatting. And the guy didn't say no word. And, uh, and I was like, okay. And then, and then he said, uh, ironically, I think your pacemaker cable broke. I was, I was like, haha, you joking. Honestly, I thought that guy make a bad joke, but he said, I have to be honest, it looks like there's a dysfunction in the second cable and it might be broke. So it's a malfunction, we need to check that out. And I was, okay, I got really upset, but not in a, I was just angry because I was like, man, this must be annoying because yeah. this cables they grow in into your arteries, you know, like you, how you scratch them out there, you know, it must be a major thing, you know, like, yeah. however, so they sent me to an echo and I thought the echo is just there to locate the, um, where the cable broke, but so the echo, the guy again, I was chit-chatting and then suddenly he didn't say anything, so what's, what's going on here, you know, and then he said, mm, and I said, hey, what is everything okay? Yeah, maybe you talk to your doctor. I said, oh, then, then they say, technicians say that's not good, you know. Right. So on the way back uh, in with my, I took an Uber home and then I got a call from the doctor. Mm, I just looked at your echo and didn't look good. And I was like, what do you mean? Uh, it's not, not good. Uh, said, nah, your ejection fraction is basically how much can the heart pump? It's super low. Yeah. So a healthy person have an ejection fraction, so the capacity of pumping blood through the heart to the organs, mm -hmm. uh, they, they're saying the normal area is 50 to 60%, that's considered normal. And sometimes above a little bit, you know, but not under. And I had an ejection fraction of 25 to 28%, which is oh, less than a 99-year-old granny. They have better ejection fraction than that, like basically heart failure. Like so a, it was basically half the injection fraction number that a normal person yeah. So yeah, half. yeah, yeah. So your heart was basically not really working. My heart was halfway working, and I didn't realize that. I just couldn't. I could only say I was tired, but I and I didn't feel like doing sport or so, you know. But um, I didn't realize. I didn't realize. So and um, so I I I tried to not get too much into it. So. Uh, because I maybe didn't want to understand what he's telling me. It was a cardiomyopathy. And I was thinking, oh my God, it's like emergency room. Like, I have to be honest, a bit American over exaggerating, you know, like, right. you know, oh, it's so terrible. You know, like you, you need to do all this to make a lot of, pay a lot of money for, you know, like, so I was like really very uh, reserved about it. However, so he he had I had to go back and he said, listen, we need to do a PET scan because I'm thinking you have an autoimmune disease in the heart. And I was like, man, I got really angry. I got I fight with the doctor because yeah. uh, no, what you're seeing on on this is not scar. The scar tissue is from my pacemaker because 
I got a myocarditis before, like a heart infection. And right. that is why I have the pacemaker. And he said, no, it might be sarcoidosis. So we had a really clash about, however. Oh. So he sent me to the PET scan and I did the PET scan. And then I said, okay, they confirmed it looks like sarcoidosis in the heart, which is a very rare form of sarcoidosis. Um, it's basically lethal, you know, like you can die from and uh, you have it normally in the lungs and uh, it was mild metabolic activity. So the other thing was they found, and by the way, uh, there is a lump in the breast. And I was like, What's, what do you mean? Yeah, uh, and hyper metabolic activity in the right breast. I was like five centimeters, or I don't know how much is an inch, but uh, I was like, what are you talking about? You know, like, and um, yeah, so I said to Jason, it wasn't good, uh, however, I couldn't grasp it. So I had to go to a, so they sent me then to a biopsy and everything. So I had breast cancer. So everything in one day, basically. Yeah. That's, and yeah. so here you are, you've never dealt with the American medical system before and they're giving no. you nothing but bad news. But literally, bad news. Cancer, and then you're like. <laughs> yeah, like just, it was like overwhelming. I was like, hey, it's like a bad movie, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's like a bad movie and they love bad movies, you know? Yeah. So like everything is dramatized and oh my God, it's last resort. Like, uh, but it was like a continuously horrible uh, thing. It's not only that you, I was in denial to be honest. Uh, yeah, there could be breast cancer, but it don't have to be breast cancer, you know? Like, so the so doctor said, please check this out. So I went into a, um, for biopsy, yeah, you have breast cancer, yeah, okay. But what kind of breast cancer? And I, uh, um, I would say you have the second best breast cancer. What means second best? You have plus, plus, minus. It means like a, a um, hormone positive breast cancer, you know, like, and um, so however I did, no, sorry, I don't have plus, plus, minus. I had triple plus. That means you have um, this protein, her plus, and um, you have uh, estrogen positive and, gestogen or positive or something um so but this is means chemotherapy and of course i had to get the chemotherapy right. you know but the problem was then and it was very traumatic in the end um because the problem was basically um the chemotherapy can affect the heart can cause heart failure and so they had to give me other drugs so they gave me taxol which has worked well but my ejection fraction was still very low. And so what I what they did is basically before I got the chemo, I had to uh, stabilize my heart. So there was um, a summit, um, they discussing at Cedar Zane. So sometimes they have so cases of what I understood. So there's expert panel and they say, okay, we have here's a case from Miri M and, and we, um, we have to have a look um, because that lady have breast cancer and heart failure and how are we gonna treat this? And so uh, the, the the breast cancer apparently already progressing, you know, like we have to advance, you know, you have to really, uh, what we're going to do now. So because we can't give her certain uh, medications so or they discussed me and I was like, it was nerve wracking. So however, so they said, okay, normally you get, uh, before you get uh, chemotherapy, sorry, normally get chemotherapy and then they see how your tumor react to it. And then after then this makes a prognosis then for later and then they can cut it out but in my case they said okay we have to do first heart surgery so we have to get the old broken pacemaker out putting on the left side implanted 
make 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 a lead extraction. There's only one specialist here in um, in LA, and he he did an amazing job. So they did a lead extraction, put a new uh, defibrillator in because of the sarcoidosis and cardiomyopathy. And then um, they said, okay, then a four weeks recovery and then lumpectomy means like you cut out the tumor in the breast and then chemotherapy and then radiology and then hormone therapy. Yeah, I went through everything. So basically I got the whole menu. The, the, the irony is, is that given all of that, all of those very scary, dangerous conditions, you're in a place where, because you went to Cedars, and yeah. it was the best place that you could have gone for all of these things. You're totally right, because I was like so anti-LA and I wanted to just go home, you know. I just wanted to be home. I didn't want to go under this nightmare in a city I don't know, and uh, the people are so different. and. I didn't, I didn't know what to deal with. And I know, Dana, you were on my side. You were on my side. You came to the chemotherapy. Yes. You came to me, you helped me. I, I, I could cry. Yeah, I remember those. I had, whoa, yeah, I know. I, I remember going to those sessions with you and I remember like Jason would be there in the morning and then he'd go, we'd trade. <laughs> I know, I know. I come in. Yeah, and it was it was a, a quite an experience, and I remember the 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 cedars, the nurses, the chemo nurses, and how yeah. they were lovely. They were so kind and nice, and they were amazing, amazing people. And you think about wow, you know, if you had gone home or if you had been home during all this, I mean, maybe they wouldn't have been able to help you as yeah. they did at cedars. This is the thing I think when I was like really in that dark place, so I said, what I'm gonna, what the heck I'm doing here in LA, you know, like why I'm not like in, in Berlin with my friends or in Frankfurt with my family. And, um, but like, and I remember you said that Jason and everyone said, hey, but you in LA, that's the best place. They found it, they found it. Honestly, I, I went to, when I was pregnant, I had already weird things in my breastfeeding and so, you know, and the doctor was checking, no, everything is fine, but I had always a big lump there. And they said, no, it's fine. It's just a, a density of tissue, you know, but it was, <clears throat> excuse me, but it was already something really going on. Yeah. So you're right. Um, somehow, some, someone broke my cable in the yoga teacher training to figure all this out because if that if I wouldn't go to the yoga teacher training I would never figure that out right because you wouldn't have known you probably would eventually have figured the cable was broken because you were having problems yeah, because the thing is of course I had to go um, when the cable wasn't wouldn't broke so this is camel you know this camel bent I think that's when it happened actually and um, I think when I normally they would check my heart and of course at some certain point they would say is there something but even then um i think that caused something that that the cable broke might be caused something with the heart dropping in the ejection fraction i have to be honest 
they said there is a mild metabolic activity in the heart, which looks like sarcoid, but they say possible, still not 100% confirmed, you know, but I took all the medication like prednisone and so, but, um, but in the end, I think it's, there's was like the circumstances led to that saving my life. Yeah. You know? Isn't that crazy? Well, that's like you said, life, life happens and it has plans yeah. for you. Yeah. You think one thing and then life says, nah, yeah. <laughs> we're going over here. And, and you happily, hmm. the, the great thing is that you got through your cancer treatment. Here you are and you're healthy. Thank you. I hope so. <laughs> Knock on wood. And you, you know, yep. look wonderful. And and it also inspired you because I remember we were talking about how um, cancer, the prevalence of cancer in in, yep. in in modern life, and you started investigating um, things that we put on our skin, things that we put in our bodies, and how important it is to to be using products that don't have any carcinogenic products. Yep. And then you were developing skincare stuff. That's correct. Pardon, it's, it's, I have to be honest, that uh, topic is of course very emotional, you know, like, and um, stirring it like around in the past, like it's, it's okay, you know, like it's for me like, but I see the beauty in it, like, you know, like that you, I could have saved my life. It's always hard to talk about, to be honest. And, um, but on the other hand, it, it led to something rethinking my life completely you know like in the end I I think I disappointed my university so that's it's a feeling I had all the time you know like I I became that job and then suddenly I'm life happened you know like and that is a very personal thing I felt really bad about it you know all the time and um, so but I was then getting babies and and then I wanted to to start again we were thinking about ex as well going maybe back to Europe and but then I got really sick and I couldn't not imagine to to stand in a auditorium with 150 students and hold a lecture no way I just have not I can't imagine right one even now I couldn't because it's just took takes a lot of energy from you even if I loved it but in the end um I wanted, and there's something really amazing actually when you teach, you know, like getting these connections with the student and help them on their way, you know, like telling from your experience uh, what they need to succeed, you know, because there's a lot of things. I, I wasn't able to speak English when I met my husband. He he didn't want to date me, you know, because I had just some really bad English, school English. He didn't know what to talk about, you know. But this is, uh, especially when you study in Germany or any other country, which is not English, you need to speak English, you know, like, it's super important. It's why I said to the students, hey, you need to do that. So however, uh, back to what I'm doing now is, um, so during this um, devastating um, diagnosis, um, like, it was not only like, it's like, for years, you know, you, you really struggle. And, and when you go through the chemo, you really struggle. And when you after the chemo, you need to pick up the pieces because it's like your whole life changed. You're you're losing your beauty as a woman, you know, like you you it's by basically speed aging, you know, it's like a kick, an ass kicking into menopause, you know, like suddenly you get getting gray hair, sagging skin. 
and don't feel beautiful anymore, you know, like because you just have not the hormones to keep you fresh and glowy, you know. And um, I, I would say this is something you feel in that moment, you know, but I have to be honest, I totally made my peace with it. That's so interesting. <laughs> I have gray hair. I'm not being looking like 30 again. Yes, I know, but I. I think there's a total beauty in it to get older and um, it's something very beautiful and I think um, of course uh, I get it and I never would judge anyone who doing Botox or whatever I totally I might do what may I wouldn't do Botox I think um, but um, no it's beautiful do it you know but um, I think there's something really beautiful in in in, in aging which um, you can do it a bit slower, you know, in a way of like using good products. And But I don't want to pay that price for my health. So, you know, so while I'm talking, I get a total hot flash now. You see me? <laughs> I'm totally red. So. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, yeah, the hello menopause, you know. <laughs> um, but um, so what I want to say, like, there's the beauty in it. And um, when I got so sick um, and during the whole time, because it was like, a crazy trip, an, an amazing, no, not amazing, a bad, bad trip. And um, bad. it was a bad trip. Now, the thing is like, uh, just before I come to that point, coming to the point, but I want to quickly mention, mm -hmm. it's not only the lumpectomy and that you're going under all this, you know, it's more that you, um, for example, my case was, oh, there's Herceptin and you need that because it uh, makes your life expectancy 30% higher, but we can't give it to you because your ejection fraction is so low because Herceptin can affect, can cause uh, heart failure. Right. So, and so there was a big big nerve-wracking time um, where I had to go all the time to a, a ultrasound echo and and I was praying at that time and I was truly praying and I was truly doing starting doing skincare to put my mind off the drama mm -hmm. to put my mind keep my sanity my mental sanity and focusing through all this horrible times on ingredients yeah, and also <laughs> natural ingredients so and i start loving it i so, was thinking too one of the things about doing you know your creams and your serums how it's something that's tactile you can feel it you can smell it yeah you, it's it, it's soothing there's something wonderful about mixing things and smelling them and trying them there's something really wonderful about about that that is very calming and yes. so because I remember when you were going through chemo and everything, you said, I want to do something, but I don't have energy. Yes. So you were, you know, having all these things mixing together and you were giving me little samples. Here, try this one. <laughs> you have a good nose that I have to tell you. I remember when I, I started really from scratch, from total scratch, like, you know, yeah. like, so what everyone would do, like a body butter, like, oh, listen, I, I melt some bee wax and uh, some olive oil and then I whip it and then I have a body butter but it's, it's exactly what I don't want to do like it's not it's not special it's greasy it might be healthy you know but um, but I remember at that time so I started with the essential oils combinations and you were really good girl honestly you, you, you. Really have a good nose. nose I have a nose like a dog <laughs> 
you know, honestly, you have you were really a good um, counsel, how you say it, um, advisor. Yeah, you did really great. So I, I thank you for that. It's like you, and I still would always asking you, and it's very interesting. So um, because you were like a real good, um, so. Yeah, I need to see you. I need to give you more of my new products. <laughs> like. We will, and we will. Yeah. And then, and, and so, uh, and then also the, what, there's some things that happened with the, the company that you started, et cetera, but then you're starting a new venture, which is liquid poetry. Correct, yeah. And you're and you've repackaged everything and, 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 and then you have all these things. And what, what are you what are you doing with liquid poetry now? What is the so uh, liquid poetry um, is basically my um, so I had a startup before, but it's uh, because of COVID uh, crashed and before I had another company and it didn't work out. And um, so I'm starting actually from scratch and reformulated everything. Um, and and I looked this time as well for like not only health. Um, I, so what I might have to say so basically is when I got so sick and started doing all this, I I wanted to heal myself. You know, like I really wanted to heal myself, and um, so I didn't want it to want to be ha beautiful for the compromise of my health. You know? Like because I believe uh, that there's a lot of wild herbs and botanics which are really over a thousand of years so beneficial you know and like in different cultures that's like in even australia it's like a a treasure treasure full of ingredients you never heard of and like the aboriginal using it as plant medicine you know the yanomami in um, natives in, in in the amazon area like they're having beautiful plants you know that is a, that is another treasury it's so beautiful the, our planet have so beautiful um ingredients and and plant medicine and um so there's so many uh, to to uh, to explore um so i looked into i tried to be that is i wanted to have real effects you know i don't want to um, experiment because there's some I want I experimented, but I don't want to put some ingredient in this might be not uh, beneficial in a way of like might be even toxic or so, you know, so I looked into studies, but with a focus on cancer. So I wanted to know, um, are there ingredients which can do help with can people with cancer, you know, like, so I found in vitro and in vivo studies, for example, this um, tumor cell inhibitor from essential oils, certain essential oils or certain botanics. And I need to know, you need to know it's of course not, um, it's in vitro in vivo means like it's not like tested on, on, on real people. It's like in a, in a Petri dish, you know, or like, um, um, or internally, you know, like you might internally take it, but so it's, it's um, but for example, frankincense has the total power, you know, like, or there's a lot of, um, so many ingredients and what I wanted to do is actually without saying I, I'm not healing cancer here absolutely not but I see it as a healthy support so when you're using it it's a healthy support you know to your skin and the skin actually absorbs this can enter the bloodstream and there are areas in your body for example the armpits or your you might laugh but it's your head actually your your the skin on your head absorbs more like quicker in um, ingredients like um, through other parts of the body. 
It's so interesting because the skin is the largest organ in yes. the body and whatever you put on it gets pulled into the system. Not completely, not completely. For example, when you eat it, that's why sometimes not understanding. So people eating a lot of crap every day, it's stuff I would never put in my skincare, you know, like um, says, oh my God. And then there is like um, in, the, in the cream, say they, they really look into, you know, like a lot, even the non-toxic brands, which using bioengineered synthetics or something, you know, like, which is not, I mean, synthetics, which are non-toxic, bioengineered organic things, you know, but um, I want to say, um, so that I don't understand. So there's a lot of fuss about, oh my God, you can't use this, but which is, um, but on the other hand, you, every day you put masses of it into your body, you know, like um, when you buy bread in the supermarket, you know, read the, there's like, a, you can read an hour the ingredients because there's so many different chemicals and, you know, a lot of preservatives. And um, so the creams I doing, they're not using any of it, you know. So I used a little bit potassium sorbate, which is, in, uh, in, in, it's a basically an, an but I'm, I'm stopped using it now, but it's basically a total non-toxic ingredients and in, in literally a food preservative, you know, in every, but it's not, not bad. Yeah, because the, the, the thing about using all natural ingredients is that it has to be, it also has to be shelf stable because you have to be able to, when you say, if you have a store that's marketing your products and then they have it on their shelves, like it has to be able to, maintain its freshness for a certain amount of time yeah. but you don't want to use anything that's potentially toxic or carcinogenic so yeah. but there are other ways kind of around that it's very interesting because um for example in the u.s um so that's what i learned when i start looking into it in the u.s there's i think um so many ingredients allowed which is in europe not allowed uh, there's like a red list like for example over maybe it's even more now, but I, at that point was like over 1,300 ingredients, ingredients which are forbidden in, in Europe. For example, you have one product, I don't say the brand now, but you have one product you buy at CVS or Walgreens or whatever. You have the same product in, in, in Germany, you know, like, but it's the same product, but here in the US, you can put all the crap in, you know, and uh, people doing that because it's like, it's easy to formulate and the product not getting off for the next 200 years, you know? <laughs> so, you know, but I want to say um, it's that it was exaggerated, you know, like a shelf life is normally two years, five years, whatever. But here, um, when you buy a normal product, they put parabens and they put it even into baby cosmetics and you know I don't want to say the brands here but it's really horrible I would never never do that and um, but to be honest I did it before because I didn't know you know I didn't know so I, I trusting because you see okay it looks so natural green packaging looks like man's must be organic and they say it's organic and there's maybe 10% an organic uh, oil in but the rest is like parabens and stabilizer you know like or mineral oil and so stuff which is yet not like will kill you but there is like a lot of ingredients in which are really um can on a long-term use be not beneficial in a nice way well, and it can yeah. be very confusing for a consumer because there are a lot of things that they market it as clean beauty you know yeah. they'll market something as that and you think oh great you know it's completely non-toxic and you know but 
if you really start looking at it now, some 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 are some some companies absolutely are, but then others they use the marketing and they make it look all natural. It's like it's like in food marketing how they use terms like uh, natural flavors. Well, what is that? <laughs> it's very unnatural. <laughs> you know? I think the natural flavor it's the same for it's. Uh, <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> so natural flavor is for the food industry the same like fragrance mm -hmm. for the cosmetic industry. So fragrance, you need to see it as a brace for, I think, over 2000 or even more. I don't know the number, but for the huge amount of uh, chemicals you don't have to list on a bottle. And the same is the natural flavor. What is natural flavor? You're thinking it's like dry blueberry powder no it's not it's right. like it's msg often you know because it's enhanced the taste you know and uh, msg or every other non-natural uh, <laughs> flavor you know and it's like just a brace you know like sugar what is sugar you know this can be everything corn start uh, corn syrup uh, like glucose fructose high glucose fructose syrup. it's like crazy and there's a lot of rules which are very banded here in the US yeah. so you have to be very careful I mean for example you go to I'm not saying brands uh, today but you go into one of the famous supermarkets here and they're having a line with organic oils like I mean uh, food oils you know like olive oil for example yeah. and it's hard, and I say like 100% olive oil ingredient list olive oil I was like great no, it's not. It's like allowed to mix canola oil in. And canola oil is basically an industrial, but used as an industrial oil and is actually um, bleached and deodorized, you know, because right. it gets super fast. So, but it's an, it's an amazing oil for frying because it has no taste and, you know, so it's not, yeah. And this is, you can, you're allowed to put that oil into 100% olive oil. Right. So there's a lot of rules which are very different to uh, the European. Whereas market. in olive oil here, I know that if it says, if it says uh, extra virgin olive oil first pressing or whatever it is, then you know that that's actually legitimate. Okay. You can't say that if it isn't olive oil. So I learned that. And okay. so I only buy 100% extra yep. olive oil. And it's, that's usually from Italy. It's not from here, of course. But I heard you always should look that you have just not too many distributors, you know, like, so like the, that because they're normally, okay, you buy the uh, oil in Italy, then you put it, uh, ship it to France. France puts on uh, cheap olive oil in with amazing olive oil, then it gets shipped to, I say now, mm -hmm. to, uh, to, to the US, and then they put a little bit of canola oil in, and then they had making profit you know like but okay but listen i'm not like i don't have um so much knowledge about this to be honest that's what um so what i learned um but you need to be very careful here so when you see on a um, bottle fragrance i don't never buy what what's fragrance you don't know what you're buying and the same is the natural flavor you don't know what you're buying you know there's also a thing in uh in products in in body care products when it says unscented that doesn't mean there isn't fragrance in it they can have masking scents and yep. that can be just as toxic or irritating 
as a fragrance that smells like something. So the only, so the, the word to look for is fragrance free. Yes. That means that there aren't any masking scents. And it's so interesting. I've looked at different things. Like you look at deodorant or, you know, or uh, moisturizers or something and it says unscented. That doesn't mean it doesn't yeah. have the yeah. mask. So, so interesting. Reading labels is so important. Yes. And also, like you said, even when you read labels, there are things that are misleading or things that don't have to be listed because they're like, for example, if a food product has, I learned this because I'm doing my, my health coach certification. Oh, right amazing. Now, that amazing. some products, if they have less than a certain amount, tiny, tiny amount of trans fats. They don't, even though trans fats are not supposed to be in things now, but if it's a small enough amount, they don't have to list it. So okay. it can still be there. So you have to look very carefully and even that wouldn't be listed. So even if you read a label, you wouldn't know. So basically you have to go by, um, research your brands, <laughs> you know, yeah, there's a lot of brands with a sugar under 2%. Uh -huh. uh, I think 2% is uh, uh, when you put in, have a product and sometimes taste sweet, but they say no sugar, but they can put, allow to put in 2% of sugar. Right. And this is crazy, to be honest. Without saying it's there, yes. Yeah, yeah you don't have to say it, yeah. Yeah. And this is like, um, that made me think... Um, I don't want to use that product. I remember I came here and it's like all the cheap and all the big brands you hard to get in, in Europe. And I was like, man, I went to all these big stores where they have it so cheaper, you know, like, so I was like, man. so you're all excited at first. Because yeah, I got super excited. Like, so yeah, yeah. And yeah, PBS, like, <laughs> that's amazing. And can bragging in, 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 in Germany, look here, it's, you know, but then when I got sick, I was like, man, it's, I don't want to use it anymore. And I looked into it and I was shocked. Getting, and when you Google the ingredients in a, in a normal cream, like you normally use, I, you don't want to use it anymore. Right. Yeah. Why I should do it? Why I should do it? I mean, like, I know when they're parabens in, so I throw everything away. And I was like, I know when I put a cream on my face and they're parabens and I'm not dying from cancer, I know, but if you're using it for 10 years all the time, maybe, I don't know, but I don't want to get that risk. And so I don't want it getting absorbed in my body, you know, like, so I, but you need to really look after what you put in, in your body and on your body, you know, like it's the same as the food, you know, people sometimes, oh, I feel like a burger. I go, I understand, it's, but they're putting the same stuff in what you not might not want to put on your face, you know, but you put it in your body. And also you need to always see the relations, you know, like um, there's sometimes so hard liners. Oh my God, there's some ingredient. So I, I want to say, I don't want with the products, which I do. It's basically clear they are totally non-toxic. So, and you can literally eat it. Uh, it's tastes terrible. But it's, um, <laughs> want to, but you it's not but it's basically yeah the cream for example wouldn't eat the cream you know um but uh, there's even less than one oil uh using um actually you could use it as a supplement to be honest like it's a it's a moon facial so it's called moon facial it's it's so um powerful but um what i want to say is basically i don't want to it's not about advertising here at all but so i really um 
the ingredients are really, really non-toxic. And um, and I think it's, I'm, I know I'm not the first one. There's a lot of uh, products now out and it becomes a thing. And it's absolutely amazing that it becomes a thing because it's, uh, um, it's supposed to be why you should pay the price uh, to being beauty with your health, why you should pay that, you know. This should be, there's so... Um, so, you know, when I was younger, I was using all this uh, super expensive creams and, um, you know, and I paid like a, a fortune for a cream, which basically is just mineral oil with some crappy fermented sea kelp and uh, some stabil stabilizer masking agents and uh, uh, surfactants, whatever, you know, like I, that is like horrible. And um, and then they pay you pay three hundred bucks for you know like and just want to say um, so I analyzed made my maths and I was like man I, because my idea was okay you know what's the same was going back to the beginning of our um, of our um, uh, interview uh, so hey I can't afford so I do it myself you know like so I I tried but I was like no this ingredients no I don't want to do myself <laughs> I don't want to do it and um, so I. I learned step by step doing myself taught. Um, I went really like step by step, you know, you, you accompany me with that, you know, like you always uh, was there when we when start with the essential oils and I did the serum, then I start my first cream, the body butter, but then I got further, but I, a body butter is not enough for me, you know, like I want to have like a luxurious feeling. And so I, I created all this um, during uh, my, um, my sickness and it helped me to heal mentally from all this, you know, it helped me to heal and I want doing. I want to doing good. I want to make. That is the reason why I'm doing it. I, I, honestly, I when I give someone the cream and and they come to me, hey, Miri, look at my face. I look so fresh. I'm and, ten years younger. <laughs> hey, honestly, but this makes my day when I make someone happy with that. And this is actually, this is the biggest reward. It's that's why I'm doing it. Not. I don't want to. It's not about the money. Of course, I want to earn money and being, you know, but it's not like, it's not, it's not the first thing. It's the first thing is making other people healthy, uh, happy without paying the price of health, you know. Well, and I think that that's what it comes down to. It's the importance of self-care, taking the time to nourish yourself with mm -hmm. products that are healthy, that are life-giving and healing and it reminds me a little bit remember how you said about your dad how your dad is was you know a self-made guy a self-educated guy with learning yes. like you're kind of doing the same thing with learning about all these all these uh ingredients yeah it's it's, yeah, it's absolute um true because it's um what i did the whole time i like my dad actually you know like but or what i did like okay i i can't have my um chanel earrings or so doing myself you know like or even better you know like or i i can't have uh, can't be uh, the butterflies or doing my wings in this paper you know like so 
you know, and I think with the creams, I it's really self-taught. And um, of course, there's really, if you want to go into it, there's a lot of tutorials. You can find that. You can find all the knowledge, you know. But I went really to the data sheets. Like, I went really to and studied everything, what, uh, how many percent you can use in a emulsion, you know, and how to do emulsions. There's water in oil emulsions and oil in water. And what is the difference? And how many phases your product have, you know, which ingredient in which phase you can put which ingredient in and how to create a sta stable emulsion and how to create an amazing cream, which uh, makes your fresh and smells good and is healthy, you know. And um, yeah, so I started and that's took my mind from all the drama. Yeah, And I think too, in, in a way, it's it's teaching in a way, because you're also educating people about, yeah. about skincare, about wholesome ingredients that are not going to hurt them, that are actually beneficial. Absolutely. And, and so you're you're teaching still, really. Yeah. And I have a lot of um, I have I made so many formulations uh, since then. I mean, from that point, we you came to me. I have so many formulations, and I think that's. I uh, came with a friend, so she helped me a little bit because I, I was like a little bit lost and with the names, I had so many names already. And so she helped me and um, became into this liquid poetry. Um, so thank you, Verena. And um, so she helped me with that. And um, I want to say that liquid poetry is basically, it's basically so every formulation I'm doing is like a, it's like a poem, you know, like it's a composed, a composed for, I so how I approach it like I want to achieve like what is the message you know like the message is I want to help oily skin which is super sensitive but uh, have wrinkles for example you know like um, how how can I smell you know how does it looks like so and and then I compose it you know it's like a poem so it's uh, it's a liquid it's you know like have different textures and smells and colors and um, and and it have a lot of and it's not only about how it looks like it's and smells like how it feels like it's what it does in the end you know and and this um is in a healthy way so that's why liquid supporting health, supporting health for women is, is so important absolutely i i think that's a perfect place to end it i think this is great and and you have a website i know and you're i'm going to put that on the intro intro and everything yeah i actually have to be honest i'm starting my business right now so it's very humble and small and so i, I can i need advertising so Absolutely. i'm very happy if you it's very my little small business ad but i'm telling you every item is made with the best intention of healing and making you beautiful and enjoying it so yeah we will put that on thank you miri liquid with a y <laughs> liquid with a y liquid yeah thank you so much dana it was amazing and talk. that was my talk with miriam noara schrager my dear friend it was so wonderful to connect as always you know these talks are really as as fun as they are for my guests they're also equally if not more valuable to me to have this connection and these conversations uh, especially since we've all been away from each other for so long so things are starting to open up life is good take good care of yourselves take good care of each other and as always 
I will see you on the other side. Thanks for listening.